Hello and welcome to Energy and Efficiency with Emily. This is season five of the E3 podcast and I'm your host, Emily Mottram. In this podcast, we like to talk about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. All right, so welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited. We have been talking about kitchen, appliances, ventilation, everything that comes through. And so today I have a special guest. Uh, Andrew Fourlines is on here. Um, He is an expert in this field, and he's going to be able to tell you guys all the things that I flub my way through. So Andrew, thank you for joining me today. Um, Introduce yourself, tell people a little bit about who you are, where you're at, and what you've been up to. Absolutely. Thank you, Emily, so much for having me. Yeah, so I'm Chef Andrew Fourlines. My background is in fine dining, uh, restaurants and hotels. Um, But the last several years, I somehow stumbled into the home kitchen industry, um, working in kitchen showrooms with retailers and manufacturers, educating customers on the latest technology and then how to to select uh, the portfolio that best suits their life and then also how to use it. So a lot of my focus has been in education around that. All the manufacturers have me fly out to their headquarters and training facilities to learn about the newest features and functions. And I translate that for homeowners and kitchen designers um, and retail salespeople and all that kind of stuff, kind of getting in a chef's perspective, getting into how people can utilize this in a fashion that, um, you know, previously there wasn't that technology. We've got more restaurant grade style technology uh, in the home space than ever before. So really interesting to see that growth in the market for the residential kitchen and really fun to educate people on stuff that I've been doing for years. Uh, and and I run um, chefaf.com is my website. And I'm also working to build out the applianceacademy.com brand new. You heard it here first, um, which is going to be those, those resources for, for, uh, homeowners buying appliances to get some guidance and unbiased expert opinion on what's available and how to choose it. This is, I, I don't think this could come at a more timely point either. Um, right. I think we get more questions about appliances, what to choose. Um, oftentimes mm-hmm. we are limited to, uh, well, where can I send you to go and talk to someone? And then you can mm-hmm. only get what they have available mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and that in some ways they are set up to be sales distributors, which isn't right. always the right, um, mm-hmm. the right choice for people. So we get asked questions about appliances all the time. And one of them, um, and I really appreciate that you're a chef. And so I'm going to ask this and we're going to talk about this first is induction cooking, right? I get oh, yeah. pushback from people all the time. They say, you know, oh, I want gas in the home. Um, as you know, you've probably heard from my podcast. I do a lot of high performance building, which mm-hmm. means that I am actively trying to get people to keep things that have pollutants from in their house. Now, obviously, everything in cooking and cookware and everything else has some version of it. Even if you just burn something, it's going to have some VOCs to it. But gas appliances add a whole nother level of complexity for us. And as we're building tighter buildings, Mm -hmm. we're starting to compound on how difficult that is. And so I am often moving towards telling people to go to induction and I get the pushback and I'm like, I know everybody that I've talked to who has switched to induction loves it, but I have the couple of people who are real serious chefs who's got cookware that they've had for, you know, a long time or they've created a collection, (laughs) right? 
And um, I lose this battle sometimes. So tell everybody as a chef how you feel about induction, and then you can elaborate more on the technology. <laughs> oh, absolutely! You got me. You got me squirming in my seat because um, this is this is my the educational bottleneck that I that I come up against constantly. Um, and there is this this concept, this misconception that that residential gas burning stoves are more powerful and they're preferred and they're some, you know, better than um, everything else. In some regards, you know, I just, I push against that. I have induction in my home. I have had induction for years. I prefer induction for many reasons, which we'll get into. And, you know, there are environmental impacts, there's health benefits, but what I really focus on in, in all my education is um, performance, performance and how people can benefit from using it, uh, any technology. But with induction specifically, it's got some great bonuses, some great pros. Here's here's what I'm gonna I'm gonna start with is that there's a huge conflation of commercial gas ranges, commercial gas burners, and residential gas. Okay, in a residential space, you're building to home specifications. You're building. You can only have so much heat output because you've got wood cabinetry around your your cooking um, appliances, you know, it's a domicile. So there's potentially a bedroom over your head. There's so much more restriction, right? So even if you have a pro style range, you know, beefy stainless steel, giant red knobs or whatever color you want, the gas heat output has a ceiling, has a limit much lower than commercial. When you're watching chef shows on TV, almost all of them are commercial ranges commercial burners they'll have residential ovens because those look nice in the wall and they're branded and they get paid to put those there but for the chef performance it's most all of the time commercial because commercial ranges commercial burners they can just spew tons of heat out because we have fire suppression systems built into our cooking environment in our restaurant we have huge ventilation and we have concrete and stainless steel everywhere, so we don't have the same considerations. You'll see very, very few, if any, manufacturers that make both residential and commercial cooking appliances, right? Very little crossover because there's such different specifications you're building to. So getting into the technical aspect, that means commercial gas ranges. A burner start at 30 to 40,000 BTUs per burner, going up to 100,000 above for wok burners, right? So that's huge BTU output. Residential gas burners top out. Maximum I've ever seen is 25,000 BTUs. Most of them, the high burner is 18 to 20,000 BTUs. Okay. So you've already got a lot less power with gas in the home. But when we look at induction, it's 35,000 BTU equivalent. So you've already got more power, more heat outsource output the food doesn't care <laughs> where the heat's coming from you know heat is heat in the pan yes you're going to not have some of those open flame cooking techniques available in your home like charring peppers uh, i like to char tortillas sometimes um, roasting corn over an open flame but you know for years none of us have ever recommended indoor grills <laughs> because well, it's messy, right? Right. Well, not only is it just messy, but you know, you had another point when you were talking about chefs' kitchens. Is in a commercial kitchen, you have a ton of ventilation, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So in in our houses, um, you know, I actually had a a person say to me once, "Well, we don't put rain shades in because our clients don't turn them on," and I'm like, mm -hmm. "What? Just because mm -hmm. they don't turn them on doesn't mean we aren't required to do it." But 
Right. Going back to that is they might not even turn it on. So here mm -hmm. you are trying to cook something over an open flame and have yep. zero ventilation. And uh, that worries me. So absolutely. Yeah. And to speak on that point, ventilation requirements by building code, uh, and it varies slightly across the country because code is implemented usually by the county, um, is, is dependent on the BTUs of gas, of combusting that you're doing in the home. Okay. So by code, vent, uh, induction doesn't need ventilation. You're still going to want it for smells and particulates, but ventilation isn't really there. They don't, you know, you can have a stinky house. <laughs> it's for safety. It's for the carbon monoxide. It's for the health of the home and the occupants. And like you mentioned earlier, our homes are getting better and better sealed um, with control, controlling the envelope, the air in, air out uh, for efficiency, and you can control it. Once you get over it, and it's usually around 400 CFM of air leaving the house through ventilation, so it's cubic foot a minute, so 400 soccer balls a minute of air, you have to have makeup air, right? So you got to bring air in somewhere else. And that's a whole other HVAC project um, to put a hole in your house, to bring in air passively. You can't just promise you'll open a window when you're cooking. Um, it has to be a passive system to compensate for the air leaving the house because of that tight sealed envelope. So when you think about that, we're now snowballing our project to get that gas burner in the house, which is under underpowered compared to induction. It needs more ventilation. It's not as safe. It's not as easy to clean. Um, and so, you know, my, my thing is I say induction indoors do gas outdoors. People have grills. Um, now we're seeing more and more high powered burners in the outdoor space. So either built in or uh, portable. So easily propane tank, you can get a wok burner that's going to have high BTU output. And when you're outdoors, you don't need ventilation and you don't have a BTU restriction. So, you know, one of my favorite websites is seriouseats.com. Um, and um, one of the chefs, Kenji Alt Lopez on there does some great breakdowns on the food science and the temperature control and specifically wok cooking. He just wrote a whole book about woks and wok cooking. And he had like six burners outside that he was testing to get that high temperature. So there's ways of doing it. I, I'm all about the right tool for the right job the right place, right? And induction's tested and trusted. It's it been in the culinary industry for decades. We use it in banquet halls because we don't want to smell up, you know, a beautiful buffet area or a brunch. Um, we use it in pastry shops because you don't necessarily want to build a ventilation in a cold pastry shop. And induction allows you to do low temperature so I can melt chocolate without scorching it, without a double boiler. And then I can do high temperature work like caramel work and sugar melting and that kind of thing. So it really does have a lot of versatility um, and you're not, you're not sacrificing power and performance. And with induction, you get precision over power. And if we look at the way appliances are going and the trend has always been towards precision over power in my, in my mindset, that's what I prefer um, in cooking is, is the control. Yeah. And even for people like me, so my husband is the chef in the family and we've got lots of outdoor cooking things. You know, mm -hmm. he's got a smoker, he's got a grill. Um, now I might be slightly obsessed with this walk. So mm -hmm. I may have to go look for a burner and and take you up on following up on this book that he wrote all about walk cooking. Uh -huh. Um because he loves to cook and he loves to do that stuff. But for me, who's the non-chef in the house, one of the things that I love about the induction range, and um, so 
I worked with a contractor. She owned a restaurant for 20 years. Um, we built a first house together. It was a test for her. Um, we put in an induction range because we knew we were going to sell it. We felt comfortable with that. Then we built a house for her after she sold the first one. And she said, well, I had gas for, I don't know how many years in, in this restaurant. I have to put gas in. And she experienced exactly what you're talking about. Yep. And she loves to make tea. She used to always make tea when we would sit and have our meetings. And she's like, it takes forever to boil water on this gas range that I felt like I had to have. My kids yep. are afraid of it. They don't even want to use it. So mm -hmm. they don't want to learn how to cook. She's like, it's been less than a year. Order me an induction range when you order one <laughs> for the next house that we're building, because I want to put that in like this. This is silly. And I don't know why I thought I yep. wanted this and all Absolutely. the other things that we had to do, of yep. course, to make that work. And yep. then she said, oh, you know, I get it now. But so for people like me who might be just trying to boil a pot of water, I mean, it's amazing. You put it on, you walk away 30 seconds later. It's not quite that fast, mm -hmm. but yeah, your pot of water is boiling versus, you know, we had an old gas range in our house that we, I of course was like, we're taking this thing out as we're doing renovations. And I, you'd put a pot of water on a boiler and walk away for 20 minutes and still wouldn't be boiling when you came yep. back. So. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And there's, there's, you know, I, I haven't seen a brand yet talk about the difference between the residential and commercial power of gas burners. And so that's something I really let people know about so they can make an informed decision. Um, and, then, and, you know, I'm in Colorado. So then we have the elevation factors. The higher we get, the less oxygen there is in the air, the lower the gas can burn at. It's, it doesn't have the oxygen to breathe. Um, and so you'll start seeing up in the mountain towns, people, you know, 30, 40 minutes to boil a pot of water, right? Right. Uh, whereas induction is, is, you know, generally half, half the time, if not less, because it's got that huge power output that's directed. So not only are we got more power going towards cooking, we're capturing more of that heat. So when we start looking at efficiency, induction, induction is 90% efficient in transferring energy into usable cookable heat. Okay. So that's heat that the pan is going to actually absorb. Uh, electric tops, the old coil tops, the red hot glowing red glass tops that in my mind are obsolete. <laughs> so agreed. We need, to, we need to get rid of the whole conflation between electric and induction. Induction is electric powered, but a whole different way of, of transferring heat, right? But those electric tops, they're 75% efficient because to stop the cooking process, you have to move the pot or pan, turn the burner off and all that radiant heat is going to spill into the house. So you're heating up the house, um, with all that spillover heat, which induction doesn't. So I can cook in the summer and not heat up the house. How many times do we avoid cooking in the summer? Um, right. Because we don't want to heat up the house. Well, if we don't have the spillover heat, I can cook with induction. And that's why we're seeing it in, huge in, in Florida and Arizona um, with hot climates, but also aging populations. It's much safer for aging in place. Anyway, I've got so much to say. I get that. I get diverted. Um, <laughs> but when we get efficiency, let's talk about gas. Gas is 40% efficient. 60% of the gas you bought and burned goes right around the pan before the metal can absorb the heat. And so it's not very efficient. It's losing, you know, you're losing a lot of stuff you pay for um, and you have to have the ventilation to get rid of that. Um, so we're, we're looking at, at inefficient there and, you know, in the long run, the induction is going to be much more efficient um, use there of your energy. Yeah. Well, so you're talking my terms right now and efficiency mm -hmm. and people ask me questions and I had never a heard the difference between commercial and residential gas appliances. And I hadn't ever had anybody tell us how inefficient they are. You know, mm -hmm. I can say from our experience how we feel about it, 
and I 100% agree the the uh the electric stove just needs to go away. Uh it just yeah. needs to not be a thing anymore. Um and every once in a while we get some pushback from some people who say, well, you know, we live in an area where we might lose power and so then, you know, we need another way to do this. But I think we need to start planning for that eventuality anywhere, everywhere in the country, um, not yeah. just where we lose power here and we have, you know, it could be cold. Um, right. We're going to start to see where people are doing intentional power shutdowns. We're already yep. seeing it wildfire yep. prone areas or yep. um, over usage in summer months and stuff like that, where they mm -hmm. say, you know, your grid is down for the next two hours. And so mm -hmm. we need to be planning resiliency into our structures that isn't Absolutely. reliant on putting 40% efficient appliance in for that one day mm -hmm. a year or you know one hour a day that you might not be able to use to use the structure so yep. i i'm i'm saying that i'm not using that argument anymore we need to move towards you know some more with that but um what other technologies are you really excited about um in the in the kitchen world yeah so one of my favorite pieces um is a steam oven so you know i'm sure you've seen built in some wall ovens, we're starting to see some specialty ovens instead of just your standard convection oven. Um, we're starting to see steam ovens and speed ovens. Steam ovens, people aren't as familiar with where we're injecting steam into the oven cavity. So you can have a full steamer, so we can just steam vegetables, poach fish, whatever we want. Um, and steam in the home home cooking space has always been kind of clumsy, cumbersome. It's been a boiling pot of water with a basket over it, right? <laughs> Whereas, <laughs> you know, commercially in restaurants, we have steamers and we have pressurized steamers and we have steam ovens. So people don't realize the gold standard in restaurants for decades has been a steam oven. We call it a combi oven. It's a combination of convection and steam. Um, and... The, the the king of the heap is the rationale, which is a German-made steam oven, the combi that they started in 1970s. They they came out on the market with this, um, where I can calibrate the temperature, the the convection, and then humidity percentage. So I could do roasted chicken with 20% humidity, still have a high high heat point. So I'm browning it, I'm getting that crispy skin, but I'm also keeping it moist, right? Mm. Um, and so people don't realize, you know, that there's this is tested and trusted technology that is now available in the home space. So the steam ovens, you're able to do full steam. So you can divide and conquer your meal. You can steam your veg, roast your starch and saute your protein and rotate in any combination you want. Or you can do convection with some steam. Um, I can I can uh, steam bake custards and creme brulees without having to do a water bath. Um, we're also having steam ovens that are sous vide compatible. So sous vide cooking is really taking off in the residential space. Another tested and trusted technology and cooking technique that restaurants have been using for decades, where we're putting food in a food grade bag, sucking all the air out and sealing it so that it's not exposed to water or air, which are both very empty and hungry and want to take all the nutrients and flavor out of food. So by having that closed environment, we're able to maintain and contain all that flavor um, but then if you submerge that in a water bath, you can have an immersion circulator, which is a heat pump and a water circulating, uh, a, a heating element and a water pump. And when we got, start cooking in a water environment, water is 800 times denser than air. So it's a much better medium for transferring heat. The density enables us to heat more consistently. 
so we don't have a temperature variance. So you can have maintained a zero variance or half degree variance. So I can cook my steak to perfectly mid-rare and it will never overcook. I can cook my chicken and it won't dry out when I sous vide it. Um, and then you can take it out of the bag and sear it and get that nice browning on the outside. Um, so what we're seeing now that, that um, people are familiar with sous vide cooking, we're starting to see the steam ovens have the capacity to steam sous vide. So we've got precision, maintain temperature in a wet environment. So I can do that the same bag technique, suck all the air out and then put that right on the wire rack of a steam oven and set it to a precise temperature for as long as I want, whatever I'm cooking. So maybe you go to a restaurant and says, oh, it's got 48 hour braised pork ribs. You know, that's that's sous vide styled, right? Um, so you, you can get really moist, tender food without without it drying out. So the steam oven, yeah, is definitely, you know, my my favorite wall oven of choice so if someone was going to do a steam oven could they just not do a regular oven at all um or are you finding that usually there's some kind of combination you know we're seeing a lot of combinations in your premium built-in spaces we've seen you know it's always been a double oven and a cooktop kind of combo is, is usually what people go to or they'll go to a, a wide range a uh, 48 inch ranges now come with a oven convection oven and an additional side oven either it's convection or now we're seeing steam ovens on some of those models and we're seeing speed ovens which is a microwave and convection combined so you get the speed benefit of microwave without sac sacrificing the food quality of convection um you you could i i'm fine with getting a, a larger steam oven the steam ovens are smaller than a convection regular oven they're not going to be your 30 inch 30 by 30 inch oven, they're going to be smaller. They're starting to get closer to like a true 24 by 24 cavity. But with steam, you know, the larger the cavity, exponentially more water has to be utilized to, to fill that space. So that's beneficial for getting a plumbed unit. Um, most units come standard where it's got a water reservoir that I'm going to refill um, mm -hmm. as needed, which is usually about 30 to 40 minutes of, of full powered steam, which is plenty for cooking because steaming cooks quicker than, than roasting. Um, so the plumbing aspect is really nice with those larger sized ones. And we're seeing the market starting to get to that. I've had clients that who do get a large steam oven and then they might get a specialty, like a speed oven above it. You know, that's the ideal for me because you get the speed and quickness. But although the steam oven does cook things quicker because of that density we talked about with the humidity. Mm -hmm. um, so we can do almost all microwave functionality in a steam oven. You can reheat a plate of food in 10 minutes and it's going to rehydrate, revitalize it um, and get you that that almost close to first time experience. Um but it's it's nice to have both of those speed ovens I see is convenient and they're great for people fast paced busy lifestyles with young kids because um, you get a higher quality food with the microwave functionality so you can have a kid use a speed oven before I'm going to have them go use you know a convection oven or a range right. Yeah, well, and I think that as we're starting to find there are so many appliances and so many different things, and all of a sudden people have stuff on the counter and they have stuff everywhere, mm -hmm. is that we just yeah. slowly are running out of space. So Absolutely. to be able to use a steam oven or to do an oven combo, you know, we often have wall oven combos, you know, mm -hmm. and then to have two just standard large wall ovens to me mm -hmm. never seems like, you know, it just doesn't make the most sense. It's not no. utilizing. I mean, I guess if you had Thanksgiving and you cook two enormous turkeys or something, like I can't even think of like when when you need that much space. Um, I know right. when we did um, 
a renovation for my parents, we actually bought a range that had a small oven and it mm-hmm. had a larger oven, you know, as part of the the combination of their range. Mm-hmm. And she uses the small oven 90% of the time because yep. it's just not necessary to use yep. the other one. There's only two of them. You know, she's not looking mm-hmm. to heat this whole thing up. And, and so I think that people are starting to realize that uh, and we we do this when we design houses too it's like what what are you looking for what are you trying yeah. to do right. with this space and right, so right. to hear about this and the steam ovens and it's great to you know be able to kind kind of guide people down the well what are you planning to do you know is this a is this a place so in Maine you know we have a lot of people who don't live here year round like is mm-hmm. this a particular thing that you want to be able to just cook really quickly because you're off to the beach or off to somewhere mm-hmm. else and so um it's great to hear what other technologies are out there? Because you would have said steam oven to me and without explanation, I would have been like, oh, that's just another gadget that somebody doesn't need. And now I'm uh-huh. like, actually, right. I, you know, I wish that, you know, that was, that we had thought about that because we might mm-hmm. use a steam oven more frequently than mm-hmm. we would use. Or, you know, we don't use our regular oven that often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's, you know, that's a lot of my work is the education. And I try to do, you know, the, the pre-purchase education because like you said there there is no perfect appliance for somebody right. uh or there's no perfect appliance there's the right appliances for the right person and right. it's all about matching them up and so i only do education based um you know i don't do any direct sales i just do education um, around the appliances and the technology so that people have an informed decision that they can make um and people just don't know what's out there and what's frustrating is that um there's there's not a lot of educational resource out there right now for the newer stuff because I think the manufacturers they're they're all kind of in a stalemate with each other. It's like nobody wants to be the first to to step out, but once someone does, they all have to catch up. And nobody has proprietary rights to the the base, the technology, the functionality. They might patent one one widget or one aspect of it or trademark a name of it. Um, so nobody's incentivized to be the the leader in the education um, that I've found. So, you know, a lot of my work is with the retailers, with kitchen designers doing some of this. Um, manufacturers will have me in to do a lunch and learn. I am certified by the NKBA and the ASID interior designers and kitchen designers to, to do a continuing education credit. So I wrote a course that's part of the training or part of continuing education for those, those trade associations uh, can be accredited. Um, training all on advanced technology in the home kitchen. That's awesome because this is a this is a podcast where we could probably talk for hours and hours. You <laughs> you know did a whole training series on it, so make sure um, that that people follow up with your website afterwards. We'll make sure it's all in the show notes on how to find you and how to get to some of those trainings because I think that in this industry, right, they're reliant on us and. As the architect, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not as knowledgeable with these things, right? So I have to right. meet people like you who can say this is the education behind it, and then I can give them a better experience. Versus, Absolutely. you went here to this appliance retail center, and this is what they, what they gave you. Are there mm-hmm. other things um, for for homeowners who might be listening? Are there things or something on your website that says these are the things that you should look for when you're trying to select an appliance? Or does it vary so broadly between all of the different types of appliances that are available? No, I mean, I, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't vary that much that um, we can't have a list. So I did make a like a little cheat sheet checklist, and it's kind of a self-discovery tool that people can download from my website, chefaf.com. 
Um, uh, and it, it, it's about that self-discovery. It's like, Hey, what is my cooking style? Because a lot of people come into the showroom and they think everybody cooks just like them, but there's different ways that people use their kitchen. So there's different ways that we can build it out, um, emphasizing, you know, different aspects. So it's a little bit of that. It's also a bit of primer of all these technologies talked about and some more of saying, Hey, here's what's available that you may not be aware of available. I mean, in the last decade, the industry's radically changed. It used to be send someone in, get a, a range, a fridge, and a dishwasher. That's your trifecta. Who cares? Each brand is competing with each other. But now we're seeing just such a huge split in technology. We're seeing an integration of Wi-Fi connectivity and app-driven, integrated, guided cooking functions. Um, you know, almost every manufacturer now has the minimalist touchscreen style, and they also have the tactile knob style. Um, and I can, can, you know, I tell people, hey, do you want an oven? you tell it what to do or do you want an oven that tells you what to do and we have both because some some people aren't as experienced in the kitchen and now we have lessons built into those and they have guided cooking cycles to where it's got a picture and it says hey put this this on this rack put this in probe thermometer temperature probe in there plug it into the the, the oven wall and we're going to beep at you when it gets cooked to the doneness not just by time that you're having to guess. So a lot of the second guessing is is getting taken care of. Um, and so we're seeing, we're seeing, I mean, I'm just seeing this huge infusion of technology like never before and a lack of awareness and a lack of education. And back to your point, yeah, you go into a sales floor and the salesperson may or may not have been paying attention when they got trained on any specific brand. They're going to gravitate towards the brands that they're most comfortable with or gives them the best kickback. Um, and so we just don't have, have those great resources. And I, and I always recommend kitchen designers, Hey, get a partnership with someone in a, in a, in the kitchen retail space who can be almost a partner who can help answer these questions. Cause they're going to have a little more detailed information, um, than, than the high level architect or designer will. Um, and it's about finding a, a good match for pe people that do education based sales, not you know, sell them what, what, what benefits them the most, because in the end of the day, you know, the sales, the retailer doesn't want to have to have issues and have to replace problems. They, they want to give you a good quality product, but yeah, if people are interested in learning more, they can go to chefaf.com soon. I should have a, the appliance Academy. So there's that checklist people can download. I do webinars periodically and then private consultation. So I will do um, a virtual consultation with someone and then ongoing support around their dream kitchen build out and helping them understand what's available, what would suit their needs best, and then how to select those. Do you get it all into, um, you know, certain, um, you know, certain ways that they handle if you get an appliance that has an issue, right? So um, mm -hmm. one of the the biggest things, and actually I was going to ask you about it when you were talking about the technology is, although I love this like great part of the technology that's coming out because people don't know, you know, and I had this wall oven that had a probe and that was fantastic. I mean, we have a probe anyway, because as I mentioned, my husband really likes to cook. So yeah, he has yeah. like, you know, other, sometimes there's two or three probes in it and just measuring right. different, you know, so, um, but like we had a wall oven that had it built in and I thought this is, this is great. This is so user-friendly. It's very clear what you're supposed to do mm -hmm. here. But what I worry about in the appliance technology realm, um, and I feel like I see this more with refrigerators and less with ranges, um, is that 
because they have all this new technology in it, it is so reliant. And I mean, honestly, our cars are like this too, but mm-hmm. you know, it it's basically a computer in my refrigerator. Yeah. And when that computer decides to have an issue, yeah. you know, maybe my refrigerator still works, but all the functionality is gone or whatever. Like it's still making refrigeration. That part of it yeah. is okay. But right. Like, are you finding that because we're adding so much more technology to our appliances that we're having a harder time with just longevity or, um, you know, there used to be appliance repair techs that would go out, right? There were mm-hmm. people who had ranges mm-hmm. from like the 50s to sure, sure. 2000. That that's, you know, there are too many parts now. There are too many electronic parts. So we're, we're not seeing that. Do you, do you notice that at all in the industry? Um, yes, to an extent. So what I'll say is that you, you get what you pay for and, you know, quality costs more, right? Agreed. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I'm a chef, so I, I spend way more in the kitchen than, than most people are going to, but we are seeing a demographic shift that people are purchasing more expensive appliances in their kitchen than, uh, generations previous of the same income bracket, right? And that's because we're seeing a shift towards experiential living instead of status symbol kind of of acquiring. Um, and if you spend up front, you get higher quality that is repairable. When we start getting into the premium brands, you're seeing smaller scale manufacturing to a higher quality, a higher performance, and a higher commitment to that longevity to where you have post-purchase infrastructure like part availability and certified technicians who can service that, right? So many people get blinded by the lowest ticket price um, comparison shopping, but there's a lot of of hidden things that you might want to spend a little bit more to guarantee. I always recommend a dedicated appliance retailer to to do your install and delivery because they're going to have in-house install teams that are certified by the manufacturer. When you go to the most big box stores, you're getting third-party install, which could be anybody with a pickup truck and a business license that may or may not exist in six months if something goes wrong. 75% of appliance failures in the first 12 months um, are due to improper installation. So, I mean, that's the number I've seen. So, um, you know, what that says is you want you want to spend a little more for a dedicated retailer who, and most of them are regional still family-owned businesses, we haven't really seen this giant corporate takeover because I think because it's such a hands-on process when we talk about built-in appliances that you benefit from from certified, trained, insured installers that that retailer is gonna is gonna is gonna stand behind. Um, with that being said, you know, you look at all the infusion of electronics, yeah, the more things you put in it, the more things that can break or go wrong. Um, and again, that goes back to your quality. So is this brand, is this oven have a proper cooling system to keep the electronics cool? Um, so that's where we'll, we'll hear a fan click on on an oven. It's not the internal fan of the convection. It's a fan doing air cooling between the, the electrical components and the and the, the heat, the, the cavity that heats up. Um, and that's why, you know, self-cleaning ovens, that's usual, usually an electrical failure happens around after self-cleaning ovens because those are when you're getting the most heat happening, right? Um, to burn off everything. So I always recommend steam clean, clean up a mess before it bakes on, 
but also steam release. So I bake a, a dish of water for a little while and it humidifies that oven and then it's easier to wipe clean. Same with microwaves. The easiest way to clean a microwave is to, to boil a, a bowl of water in there, maybe a little splash of white vinegar, um, and then you can wipe it out. But that being said, yeah, when you pay more up front, you do have your benefit is the back end. So the longevity and your benefit also is, you know, immediate quality of life because you're cooking every day and you want to have the features and functions that do it. But then you also want the product that's made a little bit, a little bit more, more to last. I don't really get into brands until uh, maybe on a private consultation. And I want to put out. Any, no, and I don't, I don't want anybody to get swayed by brands. I mean, the point of having you on is really to talk about the education portion, which I really yeah. appreciate, right? That's um, behind what we do a lot of. Sure. Are there things that we like? Of course there are, mm -hmm. you know, there are definitely things that we recommend, but I think that you hit on a topic that we have been talking about for a long time. So Part of the Pretty Good House movement is to talk about economics and economics mm -hmm. aren't just first cost dollars, right? right? Right. And that is something that we're really trying to incorporate into every mm -hmm. conversation that we have with our clients is, you know, if, if you're only going to be here for a year or two, then yeah, maybe it makes sense to just buy something that's right. cheap, cost effective, move on, not worry about it. But you know, if you're going to be in this house for a long period of time, that mm -hmm. oven is now going to last so much longer, right? So mm -hmm. if you divide that by every number of years that it works, right. it is going to be, you know, it's going to be less expensive in the mm -hmm. long run. You know, it's the same mm -hmm. with clothing. Better made clothing yep. lasts a longer Absolutely. period of time. Better designed and built houses last for a longer time, right? So yep. understanding all of the parts that are really important that go into each of these things, right? Yeah. Your kitchen appliance is an entire system and mm -hmm. everything that goes into that system has a function and the cheaper you go, the less it functions, right? right. So yeah. if it's something that's just throw away that you aren't going to use or, you know, you, you put a microwave in because someone told you you had to put a microwave in and you use it once every, you know, three months, Really right. not really a big deal what you pick, but for right. things that you know you're going to use all the time. So I love that you put together a checklist that sort of helps people to kind of get down to what am I going to do? What is the best choice here? Because mm -hmm. putting something in because somebody told you you needed to have one and not using it when you can spend a little bit more, not put that thing in and get something you will use to me right. makes so much sense. And mm -hmm. I love that you talked about that surrounding kitchen appliances because it just really, it really hits home that that part is important for every step of the process in yeah. your house, um, including all the way down to kitchen appliances and furniture tend to be some of the last things that people think about, right? If they right. got through the whole process, they're like, oh, I got to have a appliance. Well, maybe not the last thing because kitchen appliances do sort of need to happen while you're designing out your kitchen. But yeah. Um, so yeah, so I appreciate that you you really made that a point because it's clear that you do education versus, you know, like this, this is the, this is the thing that you should buy. Well, right. But is it? Right. Yeah. And you know, people come into this process, kitchen design, kitchen remodeling. It's, it's tricky because people don't do it often enough to get good at it, but they do it often enough to think they're good at it. And what you know going into a process is totally different than what you know going not only the end of the purchase process, but the end of the life cycle of the use. 
So I always try to connect people with like, hey, here's someone that's similar to you and here's their opinion five years after they put this in. And that's where we're seeing when people do like mixed use. So there's some ranges that have induction plus gas and some people want that to have the options, but we see people gravitate towards the induction and rarely use the gas. Same thing with double wall ovens or a, a large oven and a small oven. The, the use patterns really do inform us more um, and we need to put that in the selection process than people's concept of, of, of going into it, what they need. And if you're building your entire kitchen around Thanksgiving, which happens once a year, um, yeah, you may not get the thing, you may not get the things that suit you best day to day. And that's what I want to focus on. Yeah, that's what we talk about a lot with economics is build for the 364 other days of the year, not the one day a year that you do. <laughs> you know, that was another architect I heard it, talked about it and said, you know, someone wanted to double door into their house so they could get the Christmas tree out after Christmas. Mm -hmm. I'm like, for one day a year, like a double set mm -hmm. of doors, your, mm -hmm. your entire house design <laughs> is around this one day a year. Like, uh -huh. I, I have a nice vacuum. It works just fine. It was a yeah. lot less than changing my whole house designer. You know, yeah. I talk about, yeah. um, you know, the the dining rooms, you know, that you only use once a year. Like that cost you mm -hmm. a lot of money to build that. I, mm -hmm. you know, there's so many things you could have done mm -hmm. other than that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I, think I, I love totally that the conversation, the conversation is moving towards intentional use. And we're seeing that more and more, especially with, you know, Housing costs are so expensive and people are downsizing. So they're trying to utilize the space better. Um, and we're seeing that in appliances too. Now we're having a lot of premium brands have a full 24 inch line of small appliances for, for condos and small spaces. So, um, you know, it's, it's just educating yourself and knowing what's out there. Yeah. And I think with kitchen design too, I love that you talked about doing, you know, certain things outside is, um, you know, in the old days, sometimes they even had summer kitchens or outside space or in mm -hmm. Europe, they have a kitchen, which is completely closed off for the rest of the space because you often mm -hmm. have these things that happen in your kitchen. And I wonder if we will see some kind of transition and maybe not quite as much here in Maine where it's cold for a long period of time, but in areas where it is a little bit warmer, where cooking will move outside mm -hmm. um, a little bit more. I think we're already starting to see that. You do see every yeah. new type of grill or appliance or smoker or the blackstone griddles and mm -hmm. everything that that people mm -hmm. have outside i think we're starting to see a lot more of that which um we did a bs and beer show episode on kitchen ventilation where we talked to mm -hmm. a mechanical engineer just about ventilation and at the end i said i don't think that anybody will ever cook in their kitchen ever again um everybody will just get takeout or cook outside uh, <laughs> I was like, he said I had to use my range vent hood while the toaster oven was on, you know? And so, uh, you know, kind of putting all these technologies together in our houses and figuring out, and I like how you said intentional, right? There's intentional buying, like we're having, we're creating intentional mm -hmm. spaces. Um, and to me, that's exciting. So, mm -hmm. um, is there anything else in the technology world that we didn't cover? I know we could probably talk forever and I just realized <laughs> right? that all of a sudden it's like 45 <laughs> minutes later and I'm like, oh my goodness, I totally right? derailed and sidetracked this whole conversation based on what I wanted to know. No, so. absolutely. I mean, I went on my tangents too. You get me started and I just got, no, there's, there's so much to cover. I'd love to, you know, we can continue this conversation another time. Um, people can, can check out what I'm doing. Um, I'm doing a lot of, of webinars through, um, you know, I'm in Colorado, so 
Boulder County had me do a demonstration on induction. City and County of Denver um, is doing some education around it because there's a lot of incentives being put in place to get people to decarbonize and electrify. Um, and so I'm doing, you know, conventions and presentations with with National Kitchen and Bath Association. Yeah, there's 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 so much great stuff out there. There's more information than ever before. There's more technology than ever before. And it's really about finding voices you can trust um, and listening to 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 what they what they recommend based on a bigger picture than than just when, you know, any one person's view of, of the industry. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about ovens and, and induction cooktops. Do you get into some of the other things like refrigeration, cleaning, cookware, et cetera? Like, yeah. Do you get into even in more depth on that too? So we'll definitely make mm -hmm. sure that we put Chef AF uh, up so that people can find you and learn more. We'll connect again. Um, I would definitely love to do uh, more on this, but I really appreciate um, the things that you did say today, because I say them a lot, but this is coming from somebody who is clearly an educator directly in this industry on these specific things. So you know so much more than I do. I, I know what I know, which is just enough to barely not be dangerous. We're moving towards <laughs> electrification, decarbonization. Mm -hmm. um, and so hearing that and learning you know, what you're doing to help towns um, and other areas get prepared for for that um, is awesome. So thank you so much for joining me um, and sharing uh, just probably like a kernel <laughs> of the knowledge that you have, uh, I can tell. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, Emily. I'm always excited to talk about this, share my passion. And it's an exciting time. You know, there's there's stuff to get to get excited about. <laughs> I sure is. So thank you for tuning in again this month to check out what we are doing here on the podcast. And I just want to double down earlier, Chef Andrew said you don't necessarily need ventilation for induction ranges, but you're going to want it. And I want to say that you do need it. You need a bigger capture area and we need to think about PM 2.5, but he is right. It is much less riskier than ventilation for a gas range, which is something that is incredibly important. So uh, put in those kitchen ventilation hoods and use them this was not on kitchen ventilation. We can do a whole series on kitchen ventilation if people want to learn more about that. But thanks for tuning in again this week. Let me know if there's someone you want to talk to or some technology that you want me to discuss on the podcast. And if not, until next time, stay nerdy.